alchemy in motion on the highway Those headlights making diamonds out of rain And the feeling that you don't know where you're going When you know for sure exactly where you've been All we held on to the dream, the four-leaf clover Everybody's gonna set the world on fire And that little voice that whispers when it's over Oh, you can't escape yourself when it comes down to the wire Nothing says I'm hungry like a baby No one says I'm lonely like a train We never said goodbye We never even tried Nothing says I'm gone Like red lights in the rain
never said goodbye We never even tried Nothing says I'm gone Like red lights in the rain Red lights in That's Stephen Fearing with Red Lights in the Rain from his great 2017 album, Every Soul's a Sailor. Stephen Fearing is hitting the road this spring in Saskatchewan, Manitoba and Ontario, hot on the heels of a great response to his ninth studio solo album, which took home the Canadian Folk Music Award for Contemporary Singer of the Year. His solo career is still going strong alongside his very busy other job as one of the leaders of Blackie and the Rodeo Kings. We caught up with Stephen on the road in Saskatchewan to talk about the tour and his latest solo album. How are things going today, Stephen? Really good. It's a beautiful, clear, clear, cold, sunny day. I'm about to uh, make the long trek to Winnipeg. I've got a gig there tomorrow night. Yeah, I was checking out the dates for this tour, which you can find on Stephen's website at stephenfearing.com. And it seems like you are hopping from Saskatchewan into Manitoba and then back again. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I guess that's just the way that the the dates roll out convenient for everybody. Yeah, sometimes, you know, you can plan it so it goes A, B, C, D, and sometimes it's A, D, C, B. So it's a while since we've talked. I mentioned at the start of the interview, uh, yet another very successful album, album number nine, Every Soul's a Sailor, came out last year. So the solo career continues to to go great. And obviously you've been uh, hugely busy with Blackie over the, the last couple of years. I know they've uh, had a very successful time. You uh, released the Kings and Kings album. I think that was a year or so ago, right? Yeah, um, Every Soul's a Sailor came out in January, and uh, The Kings and Kings came out in October of 2016, I think, something like that. But uh, Kings and Kings came out first to sort of put them a little farther apart. And I know when we've talked before, I mean, one of the things that comes through very clearly is the fact that not only, obviously, you're very professional about the way you run your career, but you really do try and make sure... Uh, you give time to all of the projects that you're involved in. You know, that it's not, you know, this is what I do. It's, yeah, I do all of these things. I mean, that's just the nature of being a professional musician these days. It is. It is. You really, uh, it's funny because when I started, um, you know, my, the sort of prevailing wisdom was to focus on one thing so that uh, you sort of gave it all your time, but also you didn't confuse people. But nowadays it's pretty much the opposite. You know, if you, Pretty much any musician you'll talk to has their fingers in a number of different pies, as it were. And it's, it's yeah, it's the name of the game. And it's nice because it keeps things fresh, you know. It keeps you on your toes and uh, keeps it interesting. But after all these years of touring, I was trying to uh, check up on um, when your first album came out. Was that 95? 
that you released your first album, or am I, is it even earlier than that? <laughs> it's even earlier than that. Um, I put out, it's funny, because somebody just gave me or showed me a copy of uh, the gig last night uh, in Saskatoon, Karen Hagman, who's been booking me for 30 years, showed me a copy of The Yellow Tape, which was my first solo outing. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been a long time. I know to tell you very careful not to say what that date was. <laughs> I honestly can't remember. <laughs> oh, that's good. That makes that makes me feel better because, you know, I think I haven't done enough research to to be able to and uh, to ask that question properly. But I think it just goes back goes back to the fact of how busy you are with your career and how committed you are. You know, after all of these years, and you know, you just before we started the interview, you are talking about the benefits of hotel coffee when it's good to, to try and get you going yeah. after what I'm sure was another busy night on the road. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, he's, he's sort of, I, I'm just at the start of this tour, but you fall into a rhythm and, uh, every time I, you know, go back out, like I've been home for oh, a little over a month and a half, uh, which is a fairly long period of time because you kind of, get out of the rhythm of touring and uh, it takes a little while to get back into it. So a cup of coffee helps in the morning. So Every Soul's a Sailor has been out for just a little over a year. I mentioned that it's done very well for you. It picked up a Canadian Folk Music Award. Tell us a little bit about that album and how you feel it fits in with the rest of the solo albums you produced. Well, it's, um, I'm, really, I'm really happy with it. I mean, it's the second totally independent album I've put out. So I left True North Records a number of years ago, and uh, since then I've put out uh, Between Hurricanes and this one. So in, in some ways, it's, you know, it's, it's uh, my second record in a way, because it's the second record that I've really had my hands on every aspect of, of it, you know, designing the cover and hiring the publicist and all that stuff. It's a little different in that I, I wrote the album uh, with a trio in mind, having um, sort of not wound up permanently, but certainly uh, uh, an indefinite hiatus with, with Fearing and White. Uh, the, the work that I did with Andy White, um, towards the end we were working as a trio with uh, Gary Craig or Kent McRae on drums, depending where we were in the country, and I just love the format of a trio, uh, the sort of possibilities and the way it forced me as a guitar player to up my game. Uh, I thought it would be really great to take that experience and and put it into the this new record. So I wrote the songs specifically with a trio in mind, trying to imagine as I was writing them a rhythm section how they would play it and how that would affect what I do as a guitar player, and and uh, wrote them with that in mind. Um, chord choices, guitar choices. You know, you write a, a song on an acoustic guitar. Sometimes it translates to electric easily, and sometimes it doesn't. But if you write it on the electric guitar, it forces you into different chord shapes and that kind of thing. So it, that's what really differentiates this album for me from a kind of writer's perspective. It was just the, the thought process that went into uh, the start of it. You know, you moved yourself from Halifax out to BC a couple of years before this album came out. So yeah. does that make this the sort of first album that you've produced since you, you made that huge move? Yeah, very much. And, and I, can, I can hear it, you know. 
this is the West Coast is is where I was born and where my career started. And there's a, a returning for me back to to roots. Um, but it certainly in in songs like the title cut, "Every Soul's a Sailor." Uh, to me, it's a very West Coast in that uh, you know I the, I use the imagery of oceans as a metaphor I have for many many years. But the difference between the Pacific and the Atlantic is anybody who's lived on either coast understands they're they're both very big oceans. But the Pacific has a different kind of energy to it. It's a little more uh, I want to say pastoral, but that's the wrong image. It's 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 um, it's not as harsh. And we started off with Red Lights in the Rain, which is, a, I thought, a, a good song to start when you're, you know, talking to someone about touring and yeah. uh, and the importance of being up and at it every day. Can you talk a little bit about that song? Sure. That one, um, one of the things that, it, well, just going back to the writing of the songs on this album, they were most of the songs, uh, with the exception of the things we did, and I think there was one other, but most of them were written in a period of, uh, of about a week um, up at a friend's uh, cabin in Wells, B.C., which is up in the mountains. And, um, you know, when you when you go into a writing session such as I did with with the, the recording dates already on, the, like booked, and the producers already booked, and the musicians are, everybody's ready to go, but you don't have the songs written, there's a certain amount of pressure and so you go into a session with uh like that with a with a with a number of sort of uh, tricks up your sleeve and one of them is is uh keeping track of song titles. So that song Red Lights in the Rain came from just a little scrap um that I had written down which was you know from some road trip where I just written down Red Lights in the Rain and I thought well that's a great title for a song so what would that song be about? So it really comes from a little sort of an image fragment that became a title, and then that suggested the song. I'd like to take a break with a, another song from the album. It's it's an interesting song because it really, I think, caught the zeitgeist at the time that you wrote it, which was actually before we had a change of president down in the States. Yeah. Uh, it's the, the song Blow a Hard Nation, and... I was a little hesitant to think, well, if we're going to play this today, how much are we going to talk about what's going on? But I follow you on Twitter. One of the things I like is the fact that you, when I'm following people on Twitter, I like, you know, to see people bringing different voices that I may not have heard to me. I mean, it's one of the benefits of social media, obviously. Blowhard Nation, as those people who have heard it will know, is about Donald Trump. If you haven't heard it, you probably suspect it. It was about Donald Trump. But I think when you wrote this song, that wasn't the, I mean, he wasn't actually going to be president at that time. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. He was, it, the, when I wrote it, he was trying to become the nominee for the Republican Party. So it was sort of two steps away from the presidency. And I wrote the song uh, based on uh, the cover of a magazine that he was featured on. And I picked it up when I was driving into to that writing session I described earlier, I just picked it up. It was kind of like the last thing I grabbed on my way out of the grocery store. I was fascinated by this picture because there's so much of what we now know of him is in that picture, this sort of swaggering, arrogant bravado of the man was apparent in this picture. And I don't even remember the article so much. It was kind of a, this is who he is, sort of an article. 
but it was the picture that kind of fascinated me. And when I wrote the song, I was writing it from a very, I was, I was basically, I don't know, four or five days into the writing session and had a bunch of the songs written. And I started working on this one. And I remember kind of asking myself, why am I writing this song? Because this guy is going to be a footnote in history, nothing more. He's never going to become the nominee. He was sort of like a, a Robert Dole kind of figure. He was a real long shot. And then, you know, he actually went all the way to becoming the president. I realized, I mean, I don't name him in the song. There's a reference to a, a particular character. Um, but in hindsight, I think I was writing a song very much about um, a kind of wave of right-wing populism that seems to be sweeping around the world um, with him as sort of the poster child for that. Well, one of the things that's interesting about the song, I mean, I wish it wasn't like this, but every time I listen to this song, uh, I suddenly think, oh my God, another bit of it's come true. <laughs> and it's kind of like, yeah. it is quite shocking. I mean, of all of the, the anti-Trump songs or the, uh, what can I tell you, the, uh, the negative Trump songs, I actually, I don't know if I've ever heard a positive one, and please don't send <laughs> yeah, me any. Me <laughs> that would be too much of a shock. Yeah. Um, I don't think Ted Nugent's written one yet, but... Um, in in all seriousness, um, it's just the the way that this song, probably more than any of the other anti-Trump songs that I've heard, really captures uh, the situation. Talk a little bit about when you play this song live and and some of the reactions you've had to it. Well, it's um, it's a difficult song to play solo, but because it is to me, it's a really important song to play. And one of the things I realized when when I saw him get elected as president, I remember being, well, I was shocked. But I remember thinking, oh my God, I'm going to be playing this song for, you know, every every night I'm on stage for at least the next two years, maybe four years, I don't know. Um, it's, uh, the reaction is, I mean, you know, when I'm, when I'm playing gigs, most of the time, I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm preaching to the converted, people that are coming to my shows, are generally on the same page, but occasionally, um, last summer is a good example. I played the uh, Salmon Arm Blues and Roots Festival, and I didn't see this because I was on stage. But there was somebody, you know, in the crowd of however many thousand people that were there that was uh, very uh, upset with the song and stood up and was yelling expletives at me from the crowd and was escorted off by security. So you know. I think it was Elvis Costello said, if you're not pissing somebody off, you're not doing it right. And the song was written really for me, um, as I said earlier, uh, kind of as a playful song. I mean, it's Blowhard Nation. Um, Terry David Mulligan, who's a, a DJ out west, you know, he said, Blowhard? Surely that's not a strong enough word for him. But at the time, that's all he appeared to be. I never really thought he would go any farther. So. Maybe because I was writing it in a playful way, it's it's a more powerful song as opposed to some kind of heavy uh, protest song. And did you have any regrets about putting it on the album because of the fact that he did get elected? I mean, I'm just thinking about the fact that obviously it stands alone very nicely as a single. Um, but I just want to, you know, you mentioned, am I going to be playing this for two years? Am I going to be playing yeah. it for four years? God forbid you're not going to be playing it for eight years. Yeah. But I, 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 I do wonder whether you, you know, you thought, you know, maybe I wish I'd not put that on there. Because, you know, you do get those political songs 
that are very tied to an event or very tied to an individual that somehow, you know, five, 10 years down the road, they just seem a bit out of place. And, you know, yeah, yeah. They, they can sort of, um, you know, you know, talk about the, the era of that time, but sometimes they can just feel not quite right anymore. Do you ever have any feelings like that? No, I'm, I'm, you know, I take my cues. Uh, one of my, you know, uh, heroes is Bruce Coburn. And, you know, he has never, ever shied away from, from being very specific. Um, a lot of his songs about South America and, you know, the, the, what was going on in Nicaragua and Sandinistas. And, you know, he's, he's stuck his neck out. And I sort of take my, uh, my cues from that. You know, I figure, I try not to censor myself, Jane. I think, I think that's the real, sort of uh, the, the worst thing is that you can do as a songwriter and there's sort of you separate yourself as a songwriter from the performer so when you're writing the songs you try not to think too much about um, performing the songs it's more just allowing the songs to show up and getting out of the way of yourself and writing those songs whatever they may be and then later you you know you make your your dis- decisions about putting them out and as I say you know I really look to people like Coburn um, as as inspiration for that so no I never I've never regretted it but um, I've I've thought about you know in in hindsight whether I should have written it to be a little more uh, pointed or things like that yeah it just the song is what it is let's play that just now this is Stephen Fearing with the song Blow Hot Nation from his latest album Every Soul's a Sailor. And you're listening to Folk Roots Radio, and I'm Jan Hall. I don't want to live in a blow-hot nation With a king and a tinselly crown When the whole thing wobbles and the wheels come off You know what's gonna go down about the power and the glory and the big shots of living uptown. It's the old rat race, so get ready for the change, cause the fat cats are gaining ground. I got up this morning and I grabbed me a paper to read up on the Lord all down. The front page teacher was a weird looking creature with a rug and a jowly frown. Some of my sins to neighbors and rattling the sabers and the circuses coming to town. It's like a bad tattoo and there's nothing you can do. I could sure use a stiff drink down. It's the saddest thing I ever heard And the whole debate has a sickening weight Like a steer when a hammer comes down When you see the cross, well you better get lost They're gonna burn something down I don't wanna live in a blow-hot 
nation with the king in a tinselly crown When the whole thing wobbles and the wheels come off You know what's gonna go down It's the same sad story about the power and the glory And the big shots living uptown It's the old rat race, so get ready for the chase Cause the fat cats are gaining ground Stephen Fearing with Blowhard Nation from his great 2017 album, Every Soul's a Sailor. Stephen's our special guest on Folk Roots Radio, currently on tour in Saskatchewan. He's heading into Manitoba and then back to Saskatchewan for one or two dates before he comes to Ontario. And I thought now's the time we should talk about the tour, how it's going, and then tell people a little bit about what they can expect when you get to Ontario. Well... As, as we said earlier, you know, this album is a year old. I've been playing it and touring extensively, um, both solo and in a trio format. So the songs are pretty well greased, and I'm starting to think about, certainly I, um, I'm not playing any dates on this tour, venues that I've played before, but I am playing in the areas I've played before. So I'll probably bring in some other material um, to go alongside the, the newer stuff and and uh, might dip back into um, some much older material. You know, there's songs that I haven't played in, in years and years. Um, so, you know, you sort of take it um, concert by concert, but uh, I, I try to keep, keep it fresh for myself. And if somebody has come to see me before, um, you know, in, in like six, eight months ago when I was through Ontario, try to, to bring around a different set. Also, because I'm playing them solo and not as a trio, uh, that kind of changes the songs just just 
by the fact that it's just me and a, an acoustic guitar and no rhythm section. So, you know, it's it's a different show every night. So the the set list will vary based on how you feel. I mean, is that one of the things you do to 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 keep you fresh? Then is to to, yeah. to change things up a little bit. To a degree, yeah. I mean, you fall into you fall into a rhythm of a tour. Um, it's it's kind of an interesting thing. I, I've I've toured with people like uh, Kelly Joe Phelps is a great example. I opened shows for him years ago, and and every night the set was entirely different and he would do things like play songs um, that he'd played the night before in, the, in an entirely different key with a totally different arrangement. I don't do that. I like to uh, sort of hone the song and find the best kind of version of it for this the tour that I'm doing and, and that's kind of how I, I work. So there, there's variety in the sets in that sometimes people will say, can you play this song? You know, they they sort of they they guide the show as well as as me. So you know, they it, it's kind of hard to put into words. But this the set changes. <laughs> so you have dates uh, uh, heading into Ontario during April. Uh, what are your plans after that? Um, I go home uh, April twenty fifth. And then basically start into kind of summer stuff. So I got most of May off, and I'll go back to my other job, which is uh, home renovation. Oh, that was the other <laughs> other job. I remember you yeah. telling me that before. When we moved in 2015 um, to the West Coast, you know, it's, well, without going into great detail, the only way we could get in there was to buy a real fixer-upper. And so I will be fixing her up for the rest of my life. <laughs> But that's quite good because it's a bit of a change from what you do. But you do a bit of photography now as well. And you mentioned that you uh, did the photography for the, the last album. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. for Between Hurricanes, I used one of my uh, pictures on the cover. Um, for this one, obviously, I, I worked with a guy named Mark Marianovich. But photography, you know, it's, it's a real passion of mine. Um, since I moved in 2015, pretty much... Every waking moment that I'm not playing guitar, um, I'm working on the house. So my my photography has I basically have a whole lot of photographs on a, a, a card somewhere that I haven't processed, and that whole side of what I do is going to just have to sit still and wait because I'm I'm doing things like fixing bathrooms, and there's not a lot of uh, spare time. I wasn't going to dig into any of the dates specifically, but there is one show I do want to talk about. That's the one at the Aeolian in London. Uh, yeah. You've got Ken Yates on the yeah. bill with you, fabulous songwriter, who I think bested you at the um, the Canadian Folk yeah. Music Awards. Uh, tell us a little bit about Ken and why you were pleased to have him join you. I really don't know much about Ken. Um, as I say, I sort of became really aware of him at the uh, at the awards, I mean, there's so many young artists coming up. Um, you kind of cross paths with people at festivals and things like that. So he and I haven't actually shared a stage, but having seen how well he did at the Folk Awards and how you know how much people really enjoy him, I'm I'm very much looking forward to sitting down in the crowd during his set and listening to him. Um, he's he's definitely getting a lot of uh, recognition for his songwriting. And, um, you know, he's a new voice on the scene, so it'll be interesting to watch him. 
Well, certainly, and that date is April the 18th in London at the Aeolian Hall. It should be a fabulous show. I got to admit, I was I thought that was inspired programming, having him join you. I was very impressed, uh, not just with the last album, but also having had a chance to catch him at Summerfolk last year. What a great performer right? he is. Oh, yeah. it's Actually, in some ways, I can I say, oh, my God, it's like young Stephen Fearing here. <laughs> now you'll, be, you'll be looking at him and say, oh. Is he after my mantle? <laughs> no, that's that's great. I, I just think that's wonderful. Uh, when are you going to be getting back in the studio? Um, you know, what is it? A couple of years between albums? Yeah. Three years? Yeah, it's um, it's. I don't know because I what I have to do is I have to you know set aside some time and do some writing. What I what I do have is I have an interesting project uh, in the wings. Um, I last time I was. Europe, which was uh, March, February, March of last year, I ended up spending a couple of days in uh, just outside of London um, doing some recording with a guy named Roy Gandy. And Roy Gandy, uh, he's in his 70s now, but Roy started a company called Riga Research, and Riga make beautiful, beautiful turntables. And he started that in the '60s, and all the while that you know the CD boom was happening, and everybody was talking about the end of vinyl. His company was quietly selling 5,000 turntables a month around the world, and they've never stopped. And so, his idea was to make a record with as little in between the uh, the microphones and and the, the speakers as as possible. So we didn't use a mixing board. We basically just two uh, microphones, one on my voice, one on my guitar, straight to reel to reel, and then from there, straight to vinyl. So that is coming out sometime later this year. There's, they're actually pressing the albums right now. It'll be available on vinyl with uh, a digital download, but I'm not making a CD for it, which will be kind of an interesting thing. I, I think I'll put the files themselves online so that uh, you know people like yourself can can access them, but uh, the idea was to keep it as much as possible in the analog vinyl realm, just because it's it is uh, it's really fascinating for me to see what's going on with vinyl, and I have jumped on the vinyl bandwagon in that uh, I I got a turntable, um, first turntable I've had probably in twenty years, and. I'm I'm not a fan of streaming at all um, for various reasons, but that's for another show. But uh, one of the main reasons is the sound is so poor, and um, it, it's bewildering the amount of uh, stuff that's coming down the pike um, in the digital realm. So by kind of limiting myself to the vinyl world, I'm kind of uh, putting an arbitrary filter on on what I buy, and in some ways I'm kind of going backwards with my listening because I'm I tend to buy older vinyl stuff that I used to have or never owned but listen to um, uh, in the digital realm and this is kind of a rambling answer but that's what's coming down the pike for me next and after that uh, there's been talk of another Blackie recording called Linda this building a, a studio uh, a new studio for himself in Nashville and so we're thinking we may convene sometime this summer down there to do some playing, recording, see where that goes. Um, and it probably this fall, 
I'm, I'm over to Europe uh, again, October, November. At some point, I'm going to disappear and go right, and then I'll uh, start the whole the whole process of putting out another album. It's it's daunting because it's so much work, and it's this. I mean, you really got to question these days as an artist. Apart from the pleasure of making records, you know, how much time does this format actually have left? Because uh, you know, it's the economics of it are so wretched right now. The amount of money it, it costs to actually make a record, and then do you ever make that money back? And since we're all doing this independently, can we afford to do it? You know, it's 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 very uncertain times for that. Well, it's good to, you know, one of the things I, I love about the conversations we've had over the years uh, is is the way that you really think about the business as well as, it, you know, it, it, you have to think about the business to be yeah. sustainable. I mean, that's just hugely important. One of the things that I've got from you that I always mention every time I'm hosting a festival, whatever, is I always tell the story that Stephen Fearing says that CDs, festivals are food stamps. Yeah. And, you know, that it's important for, for people to pick them up. The streaming thing, I know we don't really have time to get into that just now, but I yeah. it does. Yeah. what really bothers me is the amount of information that you'll never get to hear if you yeah. don't actually have a physical copy of something yeah. available to you. That really bothers me. It's like, you know, in the old days, it was always about, did you know who played on that record? Did you yeah. know who played on that record? In yeah. the streaming world, a lot of that just gets lost. Yeah, totally. And... uh I mean, it's, it is a double-edged sword. Yeah, my I've got a 13-year-old daughter, and uh, last summer, as we were, we had a long road trip planned. We were driving up to Nelson. It's about a nine-hour drive, and she said, "Dad, can you get me a Spotify account?" And I thought, "Oh God, here we go." So I said, "Yeah, I will, of course." But first, I need to explain to you that this credit card I'm going to use to get you a Spotify account, even though my music is on Spotify, nothing. There, this, the amount of money I make from Spotify is so tiny that uh, it won't even pay for me to buy you a Spotify account. So you got to understand that when you're listening to music on that, it, it's it's not benefiting any artists. It's benefiting the corporations that own, you know, the uh, the, the servers and and the, all of the other people. But by the time the uh, the the dollar gets down to the artist. It's been whittled away to pennies, and um, but go ahead because I know what you're going to do is you're going to listen to a huge variety of music, and indeed she does. You know it's amazing to me. She she plays me as I'm driving her back and forth around. You know she's 13, so there's other things to take her to. It's just astounding to me what she plays me. It's this huge swath of music. She doesn't. She sort of knows things about it, but the music is going in, and that's probably the most important thing. You know, you just gave me another interesting story to say. Well, Stephen Fearing said this about Spotify. <laughs> it was like, no, yeah. that that is actually a great story. You know, you, uh, you know, you could barely pay for your daughter's Spotify account with the money you make on Spotify. Yeah. Oh it's, yeah, yeah. It's been an absolute pleasure as always to talk to you today. We've got one thing left to do, and that's pick the next song to play. I'd like to play the the title track from the album. Uh, I think it's mm -hmm. very fitting. Uh, just, you know, we mentioned, we talked about some of the challenges of the, the time we're living in. Tell us a little bit about this song and why you chose it to be the title track of the last album. 
Well, in some ways, it, it, it actually chose itself because, you know, the song came very much, very, very much. It's, it's, it's a product of being up in the, in the woods on my own for, you know, seven days of writing and the kind of stillness that, that gradually comes over you when you're, when you're doing that kind of thing. It's like a meditation. And, uh, it came out of the guitar just sitting there playing and this little melodic motif came out of the playing and I started putting words to it just in some ways almost phonetically finding the, the phrase that would fit that musical phrase phonetically. And, um, and then when I got the Every Soul's a Sailor, um, I started, well, what does that mean? You know, you sort of extrapolate from there. And that's the process of writing for me. But as a title, so much of this album, like a lot of albums and songs that I write, um, is really about the idea that, that the, the journey is what's important. You know, what what's at the end of it is actually the least important part, even though we tend to focus on, you know, the, the end, the the uh, writing the song, that the, the song itself is the most important thing, painting the picture, the picture's the most important thing. And in fact, it's not. It's the process of creating those things that is the most important part because that's what you end up doing over and over. And the end product, once it's done, be it whatever it is, you know, you spend your whole life working and then you make money and you retire. You know, it's it's the, the day-to-day that's the important thing and it's, it's the journey. And that is, is, is reflected in so many of the songs on the album that it seemed like um, a kind of a perfect song to kind of encapsulate the whole record. And that's a perfect way to finish this interview. As always, Stephen Fearing, it's an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. This is Stephen Fearing with the title track from his 2017 album, Every Soul's a Sailor. You're listening to Folk Roots Radio, and I'm Jan Hall. And thanks again for a great interview. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. souls a sailor rolling on the deep the tinker and the tailor the beggar and the thief the winners and the failures the shepherd and the sheep every soul's a sailor rolling Drawn toward the light With blind imagination 
We go swimming in the night And the guiding star of fate Shines for our mortality Every soul's a sailor Rolling on the sea Stared up at the night sky, pure infinity. Every soul's a sailor rolling on the sea. 